Remember the first time you saw a race car on an open trailer? Maybe it was full of dirt, tire marks, and other battle scars. You wondered where it had been, and more importantly, where it was going next. Every open trailer has a story, and we're here to tell it. Welcome to the Open Trailer Podcast. We are back for stage number three of Kelly Moore on Open Trailer Podcast. This time out, we get into the latter stages of Kelly's driving career, or at least the full-time driving career. Next Generation, Ryan takes over, quickly excels at Oxford Plains Speedway and the late models, aces the American-Canadian Tour, does well on Bush North, and actually goes national with Dale Earnhardt Incorporated. Again, Dale Earnhardt weaving in to the Moore family story. And speaking of family, I mean, Kelly Moore is a really tough guy to catch off guard. And not like I was trying, but the way he opened up about his family and his supporters over the years was very eye-opening and certainly one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast. We get things that I certainly didn't expect to hear, and I'm pretty sure that the guests themselves didn't think they were going to speak during the interview. Now, none of this can happen without your help. Open Trailer Podcast is a product of Maine Vintage Race Car Association. Subscribe to us for less than $2 a month at mainvintagerace.org. Now, what we do is preserve the history of racing in the state of Maine, and how we do it is by taking our mobile museum all over the state, displaying rare artifacts, and giving people the opportunity to tell stories and retell stories of the history of racing in Maine. We also put on the Maine Motorsports Hall of Fame, Summerfest at Wiscasset Speedway, and you can expect more live events in 2022. If you enjoy this specific podcast and you're feeling a little gratuitous today, head to patreon.com slash open trailer podcast. Your contribution of $5 a month really helps this podcast sing and thank you. So far, we've covered a lot of ground with our subject, but let's bring it home. Stage number three of Kelly Moore on Open Trailer Podcast. Before this interview, I imagined Beechridge to be your home track because we're a half a mile from the racetrack itself. You're from Scarborough. You've been in Scarborough for as long as I, I can remember. But, you know, you're te- you're typically, you know, you're from the mid-coast. Uh, what, was, what was the town you're from originally? Waldeboro. Waldeboro. You so say you're a Waldeboro guy. And what do you consider your home track? Uh, Oxford. Okay, so winning at Beechridge wasn't as wasn't like winning at your home track. Yeah, no, no, no not not really. I mean, it was because I was home. At, that was yeah. where home was at the time. But I think uh, my home track, I really would probably consider today, is Oxford because that's where I had my most success in my earlier years. Mm-hmm. So you go through a, a little dry spell, uh, and I think talking about Tic Tac and having some of the corporate uh, sponsorship mm-hmm. puts a little perspective on it. You raced conservatively, and this is when the Bush North, I mean, I think this is like peak Bush North. Again, you're getting 50 cars per mm-hmm. race. You're racing for big purses. Uh, but in 1998, you're able to break that dry spell. You went out and you smoked them at Loudon. Of all places, is this when you had the only loud, like you had a car that only ran Loudon? Um, I can't remember what year that was, Andy. To be truthful with you, but mm. we uh, a few years there, we had a car that 
most own. We run at Loud Nut, what, four four times a year, yeah. I believe? it was like your like own track, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, that was, we ran there as much as we did Oxford, because we ran Oxford quite a bit back then, too. Those two tracks we ran a lot, the mm-hmm. Bush North went to. But, um, like I said, we put a lot of lot of emphasis into Loudoun. We knew there was a lot of media exposure, a lot of marketing. Um, press releases look great after that race. Yep. <laughs> so we put a lot of a lot of emphasis on it. So this and is it also, paid big money. You got to yeah. remember that too. That's oh, absolutely. Big, that was the biggest purse. That was the biggest purse, other than the Oxford Two Fifty. A testament to to Bob Bear is uh, I, I worked. I say worked. I was a gopher on Barney McRae's team for in, in the early nineties. You worked then, yeah. So ba- yeah, well, we got your <laughs> tires basically when you were finished with them. You guys, Bobby Gata, and and all them. But um, you know, Barney didn't qualify for all of those races. Okay, but Bob had some way of getting on the radio to. Barney, always wishing him well personally on the radio, no and kidding. even if he didn't qualify, would give him tow money, and he yep. did that for everybody. Yeah, no, I knew he gave some tow didn't money. Didn't tell anybody yep. about it. No, I, I knew he did that. that yeah, was that was a, very. Yeah, that was the type of person Bob Bear was. He didn't want to be the flashy guy, and he didn't want people to know. Hmm. What was your? Uh, do you have any memories of Bob, whether it be Oxford or <laughs> New Hampshire Motor Speedway? I've got a couple memories of Bob. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, at uh, up to Oxford. <clears throat> I can't remember the year, uh, but I know I was young. Uh, it was uh, one of the uh, Diet Coke 100s, I believe it was, actually. It was one of the 100-lap races, anyway. And uh, I believe I was running a Saturday night car at the time, and uh, they got ready to do the national anthem. And I'm looking around. i got to go to the restroom. So I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Oh, there's a port right over there. So the national anthem hadn't started yet. So I walk over to the port toilet Yep. No, it's busy. So I'm standing there, national anthem starts. I'm like, oh, boy. Hmm. Okay. Guy comes out of the port toilet He stands there. Now I've got to go to the bathroom. National anthem's going on, and I really got to go. And I got to go and get back in that car and yeah. get strapped in. Minute and ten seconds. So, so national anthem's going on, and I've only got two steps. I step into the restroom. I go to the restroom. Yep. I come back out. National anthem's just getting over. Who's standing there? Bob Bear. Ooh, ooh, that's right. He lit into me like, like your mother would, hmm. like and June Levitt would. <laughs> yeah, like June would. Yeah. And he proceeded to tell me, you know how many letters I'm going to get from people this week because you went to the restroom during the national anthem, and it wasn't in quite of that that tone, and it wasn't quite that nice when he yeah. said it to me. <laughs> but yeah, he gave. That was one of the things I can remember from Bob, and a couple other times he scolded me for doing things on the racetrack. He actually brought his old Jeep Wagoneer with the fenders flapping and came down to my pit area and. Uh, Kick me out! Kick me out one day. Bobby Babb and I got into it at a, in a qualifying race at the Oxford 250, and he kicked us both out. Actually, really? <laughs> yeah, wow. but he actually drove down to my pit area and kicked me out. He didn't walk down. Wow! But uh, did he was there, unique. as uh, as time progressed and he you know built New Hampshire Motor Speedway and you became probably the guy to beat at the track throughout the decade? Did you form a different type of relationship, a mutual respect? Uh, he might have had a. I had a, I had all the respect for Bob, even when he told me Three I out. shouldn't have been going yeah. to the restroom <laughs> yeah. during the national anthem. But uh, him forming respect for me, I really that that uh, I guess we'll never know because. Mm. Uh, but I, I think he did. Uh, he always uh, Bob always come around. Uh, 
most every race and ask me, how you doing? How's your dad? How's the business? How's your family? Hmm. Bye. <laughs> you know, wow. he wasn't, yeah. he had a few words that he always asked you and then he didn't uh, hang around for a long time. He was a man of many, of few words anyway, Bob was. Earlier in the podcast, we talked about how you went out to International, or excuse me, Indianapolis Raceway Park and, and beat the big guys at the time, the the Wall Trips, the Rob Moroso, the Morgan Shepard. Uh, you end up with a Napa sponsorship and that's right around the time that Michael Waltrip had a, a Napa sponsorship. Did you yep. guys talk about the old days at all? Uh, a little bit. Uh, I think I did a, uh, actually did a, a 207 show yep. way back when 207 first come on. We were at the one of the hotels here uh, doing a, a, uh, a uh, 207 was there. We were doing uh, some type of fundraiser for, I'm not sure if it was... Uh, Victory Junction or something? Uh, wasn't it? Might have been maybe that plaque you saw about Victory Junction the other day on my yeah. wall. Maybe that had something to do with that. Uh, but anyway, Michael Walthrop was there. Daryl Walthrop was there. Uh, Napa was my sponsor at the time, and Daryl and I were on t- uh, two hundred seven, and did a little bit of a uh, little bit of reaching back. And he, t- him, and I talked about uh, the Indianapolis race. Anyway. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> did he remember it? Oh yeah, he no, I bet it. you he and did. He yeah. laughed. Yeah. Oh yeah, that that was uh, that was one of those things where NASCAR. Uh, we never followed up on this, Andy, but NASCAR, that was 88 mm-hmm. that they took me out of the lead there. 89, I went to Daytona to race. And while I was in on the backstretch in 89, going through inspection, because they never brought the Bush cars into the <clears throat> into the racetrack, they, you stayed outside for a couple of days and done inspection on the backstretch years ago. That was the norm. Mm-hmm. And we, we were there doing inspection on my car. I mean, they tear your car all apart. Uh, NASCAR official come over to me and said, Robert Black would like to speak to you. No. He brings me to the trailer. In There wasn't a trailer back then. They had a straight job truck, the old Bush straight job truck. He brings me in there, and he brought me in there with Tommy Houston. And he basically summons me and let me know that this is his sandbox. You do it his way. And you remember Indianapolis last year. I just remember I run the race. Okay, and there wasn't a lot of words said, and okay. there was just a lot of grinning and looking at me. And uh, Why was Tommy Houston there? Tim, Tommy Houston was kind of the ambassador of the Bush series, and Robert Black and Tommy Houston was super tight. Okay. Super, super tight. I don't know if you remember when Tommy Houston uh, uh, won <coughs> he, uh, at the Oxford 250 one time. They, they caught him with wide wheels, but Robert Black was the inspector. <laughs> and yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of history. That's why Tommy yeah. was there. Was that 86? Think 89. 89? Yeah. Um, you know, so how did the, how did, for you locally, how did the Napa deal come together? The Napa deal, um, <clears throat> just through, through the transportation company, through buying a lot of parts off from, hmm. uh, getting to know some of the principals with Napa. Uh, there was a gentleman, uh, uh, Kenny was a, was this, was this, he was the district manager of all the Napa stores here in Maine into New Hampshire and some in the in uh, Mass hmm. and uh, Kenny Welch and we became good friends over the time and he uh, worked with me and p- when we put some packages we I approached Nacho, Napa quite a few times because Stubby Fadden had it if you remember yes right? I did and I approached him when Stubby had it but Na- Stubby was had a Napa store Alvin and Stubby had a Napa store, and that's the mm-hmm. connection they had. I didn't have that connection, and I uh, I went and bid against them a few times and done my marketing 
stuff with Napier you had to go do a presentation with him. Did you do all of your stuff by yourself or did you hire somebody? Unfortunately, I did it by myself oh, and that okay. was my downfall. Oh, <laughs> I should have it? hired a marketing company yeah. to do it for me, but I didn't. I hired some people to prepare some of the stuff, mm. uh, but I did not do it for me. Right around this time, uh, you know, you're known as the, the northern guy. You're in the quote unquote sandbox when you go to Daytona in the south, but the south always intrigued you. You had plans to go run Bush South in the late 90s, kind of in the steps, not in the steps of Andy Santer, but right around that same time. Yeah, well, no, I uh, I changed. Uh, we we got a, a uh, opportunity to get a uh, sponsorship. We changed from Tic Tac to Lescare Kitchens. Okay. And Lescare Kitchens, they had aspirations. They wanted to run Bush South races if I wanted the sponsorship. So we we're going to run for the Bush North Championship and run some Bush South races. And in the spring, we put this all together over the winter, came early spring, and it ended up falling apart. Oh. <laughs> and we didn't do it. I ran some South races on my own, but not with the less care. The less care and mm-hmm. the big sponsorship that I supposedly had, they pulled it. Man. So <laughs> that was a how big, big was down. that sponsorship? If you don't mind me asking, it was it was pretty sizable at the time. It was about two hundred twenty five thousand dollars. Could you have gone down and competed and won races down in the south? I mean, with that team. I mean, obviously you have the driving experience to do that, but would that would have been a the top flight shelf yeah, operation. That would have yeah. Um, that. Yeah, we had the, we had we had everything in place, and uh, they pulled the plug on it. And when I didn't get the funding, that just hmm. that. Uh, I mean, I even built onto the shop at the time. That that section out there, I built on just for that. Wow. <laughs> twice, we enlarged the shop double the size because of that. So that's, you know, we really had a lot of big plans, but that didn't didn't come through. We went to New Hampshire International and tested a brand new race car. We ended up uh, destroying that car, testing it, and that was, that pulled the plug on everything. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, what was that phone call like? Uh, that wasn't good. That wasn't no. good. I actually, it was a phone call and then I actually jumped in my car and went to Waterbury, New Hampshire and tried to square yeah. it all away and that didn't, uh, uh-huh. It didn't happen, so. Well, uh, you know, it's right around this time, the early 2000s now. You're, it looks like your racing career, we talk, we let, we kind of joke about the full-time thing because you have so many other things mm-hmm. going on, but that's when Ryan really starts to uh, blossom as a driver. Had he shown interest right away, or is this something yeah, that... Uh, no, he started racing. Yeah. He, he started racing when he was like nine years old. I started him in go-karts nine, ten years old, something like that. There's a little debate between him and my mother. So let's just say ten years old. Yeah. He started racing go-karts out at Beechridge. With yeah. the Pastores. I remember that. Yep. I was involved with that, too. Yeah, yeah. He was racing then. Uh, he started racing the go-karts. Then he went from the go-karts running uh, a full-body car out to Beechridge before he was old enough to, mm-hmm. for uh, just for a limited time. And then he went from there to Oxford and ran a full-body car up there in the in the limited, so if you would. Yeah. Super Street. I don't know. What do they call them over there? I don't now? know at the time what yep. they... I just, yep. But the class like you yep. have over to Beechridge, basically. Uh, so then he starts running ACT, though. Yeah. And, and then the, he encounters Tom Curley. Yeah. He and, runs up to Oxford for one year, runs, r- wins the uh, Rookie of the Year and the championship up there. And then the next year he moves to... Uh, Tom Curley. Was Tom running Oxford at this time? No. No. Okay. So anyway, he he jumps into ACT. Does... 2001. Yeah. Uh, does Tom foster him along? Now, now, Tom actually, uh, before he won, okay, Tom called me probably a third of the way through the year. I can remember it well. And he, him and I talked on the phone for 25 to 30 minutes. Wow. And Ryan had just got black flagged out of a race up in Canada. Uh, and... Um, 
Ryan's story and Tom's story were a little bit different, but it's kind of like IRP all over again. <laughs> but his crew chief's story yeah. and, and Ryan's story kind of added up. Is, is uh, they were in a racetrack and Ryan was trying to get around the guy every time he got on the outside of him, the guy would run him up into the wall, spikes coming off the car type of thing, blah blah blah. And uh, so Ryan finally uh, had nothing. He tried to get get underneath him. When he got underneath him, the guy um, chopped him and. The guy spun. So Tom calls me up and talks to me about why he black flagged him out of it. He said, and uh, he said, you know, he can't spin the guy. Whoever spins any contact, they both go to the rear. And I said, well, from my understanding, the guy was blocking him, clearly blocking him, Tom. He said, well, that could be, but he's not ready to win. He's not ready to win. And, and right then I stopped him and, I, and we talked about that. And I said, what do you mean he's not ready to win? He said, he hasn't paid his dues. When he's ready to win, I'll let you know. <laughs> And uh, wow. when he's ready to win, that's when he'll win. Yeah. Well, he went on to win two races that year and one rookie of the year. Yeah, he uh, did well at the Milk Bowl, won a segment there as yeah. well. And uh, Tom called me up at the end of the year, and he goes, what are you going to do with him next year? Oh. And I said, well, I'm going to – I haven't decided yet, Tom. I'm going to move him on. He says, well, I think you need to leave him here for another year. I can, I can, I need to build on him. He's, he's got a lot of potential. I want to build on him. And I elected not to. I took him into the Bush Series. It might have been a little bit early, but I felt that I wanted him closer to where I was, and it was going to make it much easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Another that, miss. Yeah, go ahead. So at that, that, that time, we formed two Bush teams and put full-time employees here in the shop. So what is that operation so like? now you're talking a lot of expense. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, a, that, was a, that was a very trying year. It was a real busy year for me, um, you know, trying to put sponsorship together, get the funding, um, you know, run the company, and uh, took, you know, took a lot of effort, a lot of effort. I think the uh, misconception is that you guys raced for a ton of years together, but that isn't the case. No, There's only a few. Only a couple of years. A couple of years. Um, must have been what two thousand three and four. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. What was it like to run around him? It was you know, were you able to separate the the father from the competitor? It was a, it was a lot of fun racing with him. Uh, Listen to his mother lecture me about why to do this and why to do that. It was your fault. It was <laughs> yeah. always your fault, wasn't it? But uh, we didn't really have a lot of those talks, to yeah. be honest with you. But she was she was quite nervous. Uh, you know, she says it's nervous nervous enough watching one of you out there. Now I got to watch two of you out there at the same time. Yeah. And uh, but it was a lot of fun, a lot of good memories, and. Uh, he had a lot of success, uh, didn't really have a lot of wins right away, but really put it together in 2005 at Lake Erie. Mm-hmm. Um, were you there that night? Yeah, yeah, I was a crew chief on the car. Um, I mean, we had a crew chief, but uh, we were kind of working together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was there that night. I went to every bush race that he raced. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I was kind of leading the team, and I, I put my racing aside in 2005 to run him for the championship. At the time, we had Dale Earnhardt. He had a he had a contract with Dale and I had incorporated as a development driver for 2005, six, and seven. So, were you running cars out of this shop, or were you running de- DEI cars? No, we were running cars out of this shop, but we had support from them. They did all the bodies on our cars. They supplied all the engines, and we got all the technical support from them. So that helped a ton. That was really? that was big, big, big. I didn't realize what we had. Looking back upon it, yeah. what we was actually getting at that time, and uh, yeah, we went to we went to Lake Erie. Uh, that was a f- 
Right One of the, the first races of the year. Yeah, right he came right out too. of the gate, and he just he just smokes them. Yeah, you yeah. Know, waxes the a, field. We had a super race um, with Mike Stefanik. Actually, uh, he took the lead, I believe, away from Mike. Uh, Mike was running very good that night. Him and Mike always got along real good on the racetrack. Anyway, they had never had any problems. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, it was a good run. He he won the pole and won the race, and. Uh, because we were cheating, they thought. So they yeah. tore the car all apart. I mean, even took the rear end out of Who the car. Who thought you were a, cheating? NASCAR? A, no, other competitors. Oh, Because okay. the car was hooked up so well. And uh, they uh, were in Ken Farrington's ear, I can remember, quite loudly. And they even took the rear end out of the car that night and made us split the rear end. Wow. Yeah. I don't know anything long about race cars, but I know that's a that's a bad thing. <laughs> that was a long night. Yeah. But uh, no, he went on and had some real good success that year. Ran very consistently. Went to <clears throat> Stafford Motor Speedway. Had a very good race down there. And actually passed Teddy Christopher for the lead on the outside coming off turn four there, which was, I was like, oh shit, this yes. is going to be big. <laughs> Teddy is not going to give him enough room to get off that corner. No. But they actually raced, they, there was some respect there from Teddy to him, mm-hmm. evidently, because he raced with him. Teddy and I had had, had our quarrels in the back in the previous to this, so I'm sure that was on Teddy's mind too. How do you think he's changed, Ryan? Has he, has he changed at all from the driver that he was in 2005 to the uh, the man that he is today and, and his role in the company and, and how he oversees what he oversees? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Big. Yeah. A, a lot of change there. Tremendous amount of change there since, you know, since those days he's, you know, he's met his wife, Tiffany, and uh, mm-hmm. that he met in North Carolina when he's down there for DEI. He moved to North Carolina down in, two, in 2005 when we were running in 2005, he had actually moved to North Carolina. So you're running the the shop here. You're yep. running the race team here in Scarborough. Yep. He's living in North Carolina, yep. and you're running back and forth, back wow, and forth. That's a lot of. I thought your trucks drove a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was a lot of back and forth. I believe. I don't know if he lived there all year in 2005, but I know he did. I know he was there in six, but I think he was there in five. But it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. But yeah, I think he was there in five too. I'm pretty sure he lived down there in five. But he he met his uh, now wife down there, and that's he's excellent. Two beautiful children down there and he works for the transportation company now that we have a terminal in Troutman, North Carolina which is just outside of Mowersville so and he uh, because he ran a couple of those races for DEI in in the Bush South yeah in 2006 he run he was supposed to run 12 races I had a contract he was supposed to run 12 Bush South races in 2006 and then 2007 he was supposed to run for Rookie of the Year. All right. That's what the whole deal was. And it just didn't uh, materialize uh, mm-hmm. as well as we wanted to. He didn't have the finishes um, that I think that they were looking for. That's so hard though because I mean I was looking at the finishes and they weren't that bad. Well, it was, it's he, not like, you know. He, he, had, he was running every race he ran good. He had some misfortune, uh, you know, accidents that happened in front of him like Loudon he was running very well and got spun by a competitor from behind, um, actually got dumped by Tim Fidua. Uh, and then another race at um, <clears throat> Richmond. Richmond. Richmond, he was running yeah. very well at Richmond, and uh, they had an accident and something come up, and he didn't get hit or anything, something come off, the debris come off the racetrack and went through the radiator when he went through this accident. And that's such a, I mean, it's just such that a crapshoot, really. That was his racetrack he should have shined at, those yeah. two racetracks right there. Now, Homestead, you just spoke of, he ended up... Uh, 12th, something like that. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was like no. top 15. Yeah, and, and that's the first, you know, <laughs> it was Martin Truex was a champion that year, I remember. Yeah. And he was his teammate. And uh, yeah, it was, I mean, but they just didn't further his, he was supposed to run 12 times out of the year and he went, he ran three or four three. times. Three times. Yeah. yeah. 
So they just, and they said they couldn't get the sponsorship together and they had a lot of excuses, but there was a lot of things behind the scenes. <laughs> it usually is, you know, uh, but he does go on. He runs some truck races for Curtis Key, yep. um, you know, and, and working with Barry Dodson, you know, to bring it kind of full circle to Rusty Wallace, you know, uh, Rusty Wallace and Barry Dodson worked, you know, well together in the late eighties. And then, uh, you know, Ryan's working with them at, uh, at the Curtis Key, um, level. What was that experience like? Interesting. Was it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't what we expected when we went there. Uh, it was subpar equipment. Uh, they didn't. They uh, obviously Barry Dobson was very talented, but he had gone through the loss of his uh, two children. Oh. If you remember right? Mm. And it wasn't the highlight of Barry's career. It, it just uh, the focus wasn't there. Uh, I tried to be involved. He resented that. Uh, th- there was a lot of things that didn't gel. All right. And uh, uh, Brian uh, really didn't. It didn't help Brian's career whatsoever, uh, that whole deal right no. there. It really didn't. It was too bad. He wasn't in the best equipment. It wasn't really. It wasn't getting prepared properly. <laughs> and then Barry's focus all right. It just it, it wasn't a situation. The that situation out. wasn't good right. all the way around. I tried to be involved in it, and um, I felt I did help him, especially at the one race that uh, that I got uh, pushed away from, mm-hmm. which was New Hampshire International. I did help him a little bit there, and it just things fell apart, and uh, it went downhill from there. This recording is a few weeks before the Oxford 250. It's going to run in January, so the 250 is already gone and done, and everybody who hears this will have probably known the results already. But tell me about working with him now, father and son teaming up, running the Oxford 250. You've tried it for decades. It's eluded you both, but Ryan almost won it in the early two, like his first attempt. Yeah, his top three. He was sixteen, I think. Yeah, yeah, and uh, almost won the race. Yeah, but um, you know, it's it's that Daytona five hundred mentality again. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, it's a race that I've always I've been trying to win. Uh, he's only been in it once. I've I've been in it quite a few times. Oh, I thought he was in it like a few other times. No, mm-hmm. I believe that's the only Oxford two fifty he's run. Oh, he's got a good track record. <laughs> yeah, his record's pretty good so far, <laughs> yeah. but. Um, you know we've uh, we've I've raced it for the the last couple of years. I haven't even qualified for it. I mean that's how hard that race is. To we just missed it. We've had some circumstances kept us out of it. But um, this year we were both going to run. Like I said earlier in the podcast, uh, his mm-hmm. car ended up not being uh, qualified to uh, legal to run in that race. We'll put it that way because right. of some of the legalities in the car. So he was not going to race it, and I've been—I was thinking about it, thinking about it, and about four weeks ago, I made the decision: I'm going to put him in my car that I built to run that race, which he—he he built most of the car, to tell you the truth, right. in North Carolina. So he's coming up. Um, actually, uh, we'll be here uh, next week, and we're going to do—we're going to run a 150 lap pass race before the Oxford 250, which is two two weeks before that. But um, it's fun. It's it's fun. Uh, we've done a lot of racing uh, since. The 2005 series uh, era when we raced together, we've done a lot of racing together with me in the pit and him driving the car. Yeah, uh, me crew chief in the car along with Jamie Lafano. Tell me about those experiences in Florida. Uh, the yeah, <clears throat> yeah, the experiences in Florida are, that, that you're alluding to is uh, the speed weeks, and we've mm-hmm. done that for years. Um, we've done that since uh, 2001. I, we missed a few years when he was racing for DEI when we were doing the bush racing, but we've we've raced down there quite a bit he's won the championship the, the weekly uh, 
Speed Weeks mm-hmm. champion. He was for he's won quite a few races down there, and that's kind of a special time. <clears throat> we have a lot of fun. Uh, take my old crew down there with us and uh, have a good time. My mother and father lives there in the winter time in Daytona anyway, so <clears throat> it's good for them. Uh, but uh, yeah, we've made a lot of memories doing this, Andy. It's it's fun. It's fun being in the pit and working on the car and. And, you know, watching him succeed at winning these races. And, and even if you don't win, it's just to go out there and run competitively every night like we have eight nights in a row. So, mm. um, Is there one race that you wish you had back? One? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, the Oxford 250, you know, 1988. Uh, I believe it was 88. I, I led a tremendous amount of laps in that race. And you probably got the stats in front of you in the laps that I led, but I, I led looked them up very quickly. But, yeah, well yeah. over, <clears throat> well over a hundred laps. I think I let. I just remember that I ended up second in that race. Dick McCabe won the race. I was leading the race right up until the end, and Bob Healy, which was another competitor, number eleven. I remember a yes, green car. Yes, the His, two plus two. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. Pontiac Grand Prix. Yeah, Pontiac Grand Prix. The rear end plug come out of it. He he got rear end grease on the racetrack. I think there was 20-odd laps to go. I was leading the race, and I was far out ahead of uh, the second-place car, which happened to be Dick McCabe at the time. And we were on to to win the race, unless we had a caution. And lo and behold, we had a caution. And uh, when the caution came out, they told me there was rear end fluid on the track, and I let off. And that was one of those you race back to the yellow type of thing. Well, before they threw the caution, Dick passed me. He just barely passed me Ah, on the caution. But he was like a quarter of a lap he wasn't right behind me. He was quite a lap behind. And he just stayed on the hammer and, and, and um, you know, being the wise guy, he the wise man he was back then, and me being quite a bit younger, I let off and he passed me. And uh, my tires, when we had the restart, were 40 or 50 laps older than his. He, we were on different pit sequence. Hmm. And uh, he ended up winning the race. But I remember that race. Uh, that was your race. It was a race that eluded me. But I don't know how many laps I led, but I remember I took home the biggest paycheck I've ever taken I home, $38,000. Like, yeah, I think it was like 180-something laps. I yeah, think I wrote. think so. It was 170, 80 laps I led of that race. And then mm-hmm. to lose it at the end was yeah. just, it was devastating to me. It was, it, it crushed me. It was really, uh, and that's eluded me. All these years, but um, you know, I've got a lot of other wins and a lot of a lot of good wins. What is your favorite win of all time? Probably New Hampshire National. Which one? Probably the last one. Two thousand six. Yep. What was it about that day? Uh, <clears throat> the uh, Bush North was there. Bush South was there. Uh, Ryan was driving a Bush South car for Dale and I Incorporated with the Oreo sponsorship. Um, the cup was there. So there was a lot of eyes on that race. Hmm. And I went out and <clears throat> we we won that race. Uh, we didn't have a stellar race, that's for sure. Uh, I don't think we qualified typically like I do. I know during the race, I hadn't raced a full, that wasn't, I was part-time racing then, and I hadn't raced a lot. And when I came into pit for my tires, I drove right by my pit. <laughs> wow. And That seems so unlike yeah, you. Yeah, because I was usually, I yeah. usually qualified up front so you, you pit pit way down to the end so yeah. when i come in i'm looking to go way down to the end where yeah. i usually pit ever since i've gone to new hampshire international yes. well i wasn't i was pitting way up at the beginning yeah. i drove right by my pit as soon as i came in and messed up the pit stop had to go tail end and fight my way back up through there and uh 
We had a restart. <clears throat> it was just a few laps to go, and I was in second or third or something like that. I was right. I got near the front, and uh, Ryan got on the radio and and pretty much coached me and says, uh, "Wow, you can you can do this." So, yeah, that was a that was a good win. Did you guys celebrate? What was that victory lane like? Yeah, that was crazy. You know, what was that ride home like? I, <clears throat> that ride home, he he went a different direction because he, he was with the. Uh, oh, he went back, so to, North he went back to North Carolina. Yeah, darn it! And uh, that was a race that he got spun out of, and he was running very well. So, mm. but I think there's a picture on the wall here somewhere of of him uh, him congratulating me coming in, vic- me driving in victory lane here. Wow! But that was a that was that was a special win for sure. It kind of reminds me of that moment of uh, when Junior won his first race and Dale goes in there and, you know, oh, yeah. is in there. Yeah, that's a great picture. Um, yeah, just speak on speak on the family a little bit and the people that have surrounded you throughout your racing career, whether it's your wife, whether it's your dad, uh, Ryan, other family members. Uh, how important, I think, um, throughout... Throughout the, the the common thread throughout all of this is is the more family. Yeah, well, that's that's super important. You know, my entire family. You know, not not just my wife and my son, but my mother, my father, my brother, hmm. sister. You know, we we did this. We started racing years ago, and uh, you know, it wasn't so much a family thing. And then when I got into the eighties the mid 80s started winning championships and winning races then it became a more family thing you know yeah your dad stopped sponsoring the other guy yeah well, yeah <laughs> you know one time a guy asked me you know yeah. your, your father uh, doesn't go and watch you race he goes and watch McCabe race and he sponsors McCabe what's up with that I said I don't know that's a good question you know so one day um, I know, something come up and my father somebody we were in a room and it wasn't just me and my father it was somebody else and and that question come up, and my father, being as dry as he is, uh, kind of looked over at me. He says, well, uh, when he starts winning races, I'll start watching him. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so Harsh. that gave me, that was yeah. a little more incentive to start winning races. But so. that's cool. I mean, it brings the family together, and I think created a different experience that you would have had had you not had racing in your life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, with the racing, I, like, I think a lot of people don't understand. You've got to have a lot of support, but you've got to have the support from you know, not just your immediate family, like your wife and your son and your kids, because they gave up a lot for me to race. Mm. You know, the kids did, <clears throat> you know, over the years. But, you know, my mother and father, they always went to the races. You know, my brother-in-law, my sister, my brother. Um, so all the family support over the years contributed to all this, all these pictures you see all over the walls. Well, it's a great life spent in racing. Yeah. Absolutely. Kelly, it's been an absolute honor to have you on the podcast today. I appreciate you having me. Great to talk about all this stuff. You, you've got the stats in front of you. Some of these, uh, some of the memories that I got, probably the dates aren't quite right on the money. But that's all right. The stories are why people tune in. Yep. Anybody can look up stats. Only one person can tell the story. Yeah. Want to thank Kelly for his candor and for his time. Guy's a very busy man. But certainly set aside a huge chunk of it for this particular podcast. And again, greatly appreciated. Next time out, we talk to the one and only Russ Nutting, who can only be Russ Nutting. I always want to know why the number came to be. How did you end up landing on 111? We painted another one to the 11. That's it. 
Do not miss the next episode of Open Trailer Podcast. I'm Andy Austin. Thank you for listening. 